Our next guest is a multi-multi-sport athlete who's competed at a world level in triathlon, trail running, track cycling, and represented Princeton at ice hockey. She's now one of the stars of the emergent gravel scene. We caught up with Heather Jackson shortly after winning the pay dirt race. Welcome, Heather Jackson, to Bobby and Jens. Thank you so much for having me on. Honestly, I've been like so nervous all week because you guys are just such legends. So it's honest; it's an honor to be here. Honestly. <laughs> well, well, thank you. But uh, you know, doing a little bit of you know research and and you know back fact checking and whatnot. I mean, talk about a legend. Is there a sport that you haven't? played or haven't participated in because it was just one after another after another and the one that I really want to ask you about is ice hockey like <laughs> wow oh my goodness thank you yeah I mean it's so funny when people say that because I my response is always swimming actually is <laughs> the one sport that I maybe never did and was always kind of my downfall in triathlon but Besides swimming, I feel like, yeah, I, I grew up doing so many sports. My mom was a gym teacher, so that had a lot to do with it. Um, just putting us on in every single school program, every single sport. Um, so that was, yeah, that was an amazing, uh, I guess, upbringing to have that experience. But then, yeah, coming into junior high, high school and college, ice hockey was my main focus for probably 15 years. So that's yeah it's it's so funny that's what I've always actually identified as even as I transitioned into triathlon and now into some other sports I've always kind of thought of myself as a hockey player so playing hockey um what position you would have there like like what was your position on the ice yeah I was right winger so I was uh pretty scrappy always in the corners like always on the special teams I'm a bit smaller I was always one of the smallest on the ice but pretty like just that hard worker, like digging things out, beating it to the center. I didn't have the like finesse to handling skills, but I could just, yeah, I could just find the puck somehow and get it to the girls that could score. And you actually played at Princeton University. Is that true? Yes, I played at Princeton. Yeah, I feel very lucky. It was right when women's ice hockey was kind of exploding in the U.S. Uh, the Division One programs were all at that time, primarily the Ivy League schools, which was just kind of luck for me in terms of I got the opportunity to go there for an education, but also, I mean, I was recruited for ice hockey, so that's kind of what got me in, but <laughs> yeah, it was, it was such a, yeah, such a, uh, uh, I, yeah, I feel so grateful to be able to have gone there for obviously the school, but also to be able to play at a high level. So then you finished your uh, Princeton University, right? And you were still playing hockey while you doing your examens and all that. And When then did it cross your mind to change sports after university? Yeah, um, so it was co it coincided with the 2006 uh, Winter Games in Torino. So I was really trying to make the Olympics for women's ice hockey. Um, I think it was the third year they had a women's um, women's tournament in the Olympics, and I didn't make the final cut. Um, Uh, they, uh, they kind of whittle it down from about 40 of us to 27. I didn't make that cut. And that was my senior year of college as well. And so, 
um, the transition into triathlon, I was just at home after college and my parents, I'm from New Hampshire originally, so East Coast. Um, my parents were going to just a local uh, sprint triathlon in New Hampshire with their friends. And I also grew up skiing and the triathlon I was going to do was at the local ski mountain in New Hampshire that was Bodie Miller big time skier, Olympic skier. It was his home mountain and he was going to be at this triathlon. And so I was like, oh, that's super cool. I'm going to go with you. Um, and Bodie Miller kind of like shot the starting gun. And so it was just oh, on a whim. I went with my parents and, and tried it. But that was my first ever, I guess, individual test against myself versus team sports. So for me, it was this whole new world of like, oh, wow, like how fast can I go? Just me, not not my teammates or, or my line mates or, um, so yeah, that was right after college. So, um, kind of pretty immediate, I would say. So I went from 20 years of ice hockey into like, now what? Cause also at the time there wasn't much else for women's ice hockey. Now they have kind of some semi-league, semi-pro leagues. Um, there's some leagues in Canada. I think there's some European leagues. Um, but at the time it was really just collegiate and then there really wasn't much else. But talk me through, I mean, <laughs> hockey, ice hockey is a very anaerobic sport. And now you move into triathlons, trail running, um, gravel cycling. How was that transition or did you even really feel it going from an anaerobic athlete to an aerobic endurance athlete? I know it's so crazy when I think about that now. Um, because yeah, it was, you're on the ice for 45 seconds, you get off, you got a minute rest, maybe back on for 45 seconds. And it's those super short, uh, all out efforts and kind of transitioning into the endurance sports. Um, I I'm sure that probably contributed to, I I've always, especially in the early years had the tendency to just go out way too hard and blow up. So I'm sure that <laughs> played a part in it. Um, but yeah, it's, I don't know how that kind of happened over time. To be fair, I did start out in the shorter distance triathlons early on. Um, so a little bit faster than say now the Ironmans are nine hours long. Um, but those early days, I would do the shorter ones and basically just go as hard as I could and hold on for as long as I could. Um. <laughs> so <clears throat> do you remember your first training ride ever? And how long was it? And how did your bum feel after that? Because you know, if I mean, ice hockey is a totally different sport, right? So how did your body feel after being on the bike for an hour, two hour? What was your first impression of your first bike? Or did you go, oh, this is complete BS. I'm never going to do that again. Or you fell in love with it immediately? <laughs> well, I think the first time I ever was on a bike would be just like a mountain bike, probably from like walmart just like a super old school mountain bike so it ha probably had a squishy saddle on it because i know that's what i raced this sprint try on and so for me it was more this adventure i remember i have photos from this race and i was in like basketball shorts and like just sneakers and so i had no clue on the technical aspects of things and it was just this crazy thing where you at, However hard you pushed your legs, that determined how fast you got to go or where you got to go. And I was just hooked immediately. So I think I I glanced over the fact that, yeah, everything hurt. <laughs> well, looking through your results, um, just got to name a few. Six-time Ironman champion. I took this off your website, by the way. Six-time <laughs> half Ironman champion. Uh, third, fourth, fifth, and fifth at the 16, 17, 15, and 19 Ironman World Championships, but the one that really sticks out, 
is the Escape from Alcatraz champion. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Because like we only see that sort of stuff in the movies and then, you know, like how are you going to make it to the, you know, no, it's impossible to make it from the island to the, the, the coast. But yeah, tell us a little bit about that triathlon. Oh my goodness. I'm so happy you brought that one up because even, <laughs> even now everyone asks me like, what do you look back on as kind of your biggest moments? And I still always say that race, even though it, it's not Kona, it's not the world championships. But for me, that was one of the biggest victories ever because I can't swim comparatively to the professional women. And that race is so scary. Like you miss the right swim line and all people talk about is how you get sucked like out to the ocean, like under the Golden Gate Bridge. So I just remember I was so petrified um, to even do that race, but you have to get invited. Um, I think usually every year there's only 10 professionals or 15 professionals. And basically this was in 2013. I still, I was only, uh, had been a professional for maybe two or three years and um, someone had to drop out of the race and I got a last minute call with the invite and I was like, oh my God, like, holy shit, I've got an entry to Alcatraz. Like, of course I'm going to go. But, and then it sunk in like, oh wow, I have to jump off a boat. I have to try not to drown. I have to try not to get like sucked out to sea. <laughs> and so it was, yeah, it was this crazy like preparation. I think I found out a few weeks out um, and so yeah, the swim, I'm usually get out pretty far back, but I think uh, what I always make note on on that race is that everyone rides TT bikes. And I actually went with my road bike that no one else was doing because it's very like twisty cornering course, except for the one little like Golden Gate Park bit. The rest is like very up and down, like very steep hills, all the steep hills in San Francisco. And I went full road bike and just made up, I was able to make up the time. Uh, I think I lost like four or five, six minutes out of the water. And that was, I think the the deciding factor in the race that day was the, uh, the road bike choice. <laughs> wow. So you thought about all that and planned your adventure ahead. That's pretty cool. And at, at what position did you start the run? Already leading or with the first group? Or how, how did it play out in the end? I think there were, um, no, I, I was definitely not first by the run. I think there were maybe three or four women ahead of me. And I was able to reel in um, all but one um, by maybe midway through the course. There's one stretch that you're down on the beach along the shore and you're running on sand, like deep sand for at least a mile. And then you climb up, there's these stairs down in the Bay Area where there's maybe 400 stairs you have to get up and there's a rope alongside it. So I was just like hucking myself up these stairs and reeling people in. But the final girl, Sarah True, um, she was an Olympian, like a short course specialist. Um, she was down the road and I didn't get her until maybe like it was in the finishing stretch. So we made a left turn and then there's a right turn and that's where I was able to get her. So it was literally down to the wire. And she was just coming off of the 2012 Olympic games where she had gotten fourth. And this was 2000, early 13. So it was very, very recent. She, I've, she's always been this amazing um, athlete in our sport. And so it was literally the biggest victory of my life to, to reel in, you know, somewhat of her caliber and then to win this race. So yeah, it was, it was an all day, just battle. <laughs> 
Well, we had Allison Jackson recently on the pod- podcast, and she has a pretty cool-looking trophy right now. Oh what was God. the trophy from Escape from Alcatraz? Oh, let me think. I want to say it. it's part of the bridge, the Golden Gate Bridge, um, for sure. <laughs> I'm trying to remember. It's up in Bend, but I, it definitely does not beat her trophy. Oh, my gosh. That would be her, her race, her, all the the stuff that came out, her dancing after. It was just, I don't know her. I've never met her. I just, I'm a fan of cycling. I'm a fan of the sport. And to see how she won that and see that finish was, yeah, so awesome. (laughs) Well, I gotta, I gotta chuck Yenzi under the bus here a little bit because I think he is a blossoming triathlete because we all know he can ride his bike really good. He's actually a very good runner. And do you know what he did? I think yesterday, was it yesterday, Jens? Uh, two days now. Yes, two days now. <clears throat> two days ago. You know, you know, he's just hanging out there in London, you know, with the GCN, you know, crew doing the, the stuff for the Giro, the commentary for the Giro. And he decides to jump in the Thames Re- River and swim across. But, but, yes. but listen to this part. It had to be on Strava because as we all know, if it's not on Strava, it didn't happen. So he swam across with one arm, keeping the, his phone above the water so that he could record it on Strava. Um, do you think he could make it from Alcatraz to the, to the mainland? I I think I'm betting he he could. Yeah. I think if you just did that, did that one armed, you definitely could. (laughs) And if you folks then tell me there's a great white shark in the water, I would swim so fast. You would never believe if you tell me there's a great white chasing me. Exactly. That was, that was me completely. That was a hundred percent me. Cause I'm like, you don't want to be last because they're going to be getting the people that are like straggling behind. That's incredible. Did you have a wetsuit on? Uh, no, just my swim shorts. The water was oh. refreshing, but not cold. Just my boxer type swim shorts. Imagine if you had the flotation of a wetsuit. You would crush it. That might mm-hmm. have helped. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I think uh, I think a triathlon is on your, uh, should be on your list. <laughs> on the other side, I think I had like about 500 ducks and swan and goose swimming faster than me. So they all passed me. So um, uh, I maybe I'm not fast enough. But back to you, okay. because you are our guest tonight. <laughs> no, that's awesome. I think I think you should do one. I ha- I've actually had a few cycling friends who I've met now that I've kind of moved into some of the gravel stuff who are definitely tri-curious. So I know you guys obviously know Ian Boswell, but he's been helping me a lot with some stuff. And I think he's got some curiosity there. <laughs> Before we come to your current gravel adventures, um, not only change, you changed sport from triathlon to cycling, but you did cycling on the track, TT and on the road, and now you're onto a gravel. So what did you like best about it? About all these different <laughs> cycling adventures? Yeah, I mean, well, I think for me, it's mostly that I've just always been the strongest on the bike. And I always attribute that to the ice hockey. I mean, I, all the leg strength just has always directly correlated, um, just years of squatting and skating and that strength. So that's where I guess I always 
had the most fun in the different disciplines because that was what I was best at. So it's obviously more enjoyable than when you're swimming and you're horrible and getting out last. And then you get on the bike and you can see yourself making progress. It's so fun. Um, so, but in terms of the other, uh, disciplines, I, I attribute that to my, uh, boyfriend at the time. Now my husband, he was a cyclist, um, raced domestically. And when I first met him, uh, it would have been 2008. I was out of college. Ice hockey was over. I had just been dabbling in these triathlons and him coming from cycling and primarily track cycling. Um, he's the one that got me on the track in San Diego. He got me on the velodrome. Um, he got me doing like the local cyclocross scene in San Diego. He got me doing just the local crits, mostly just for bike handling, bike development. And so he, he truly was the one that I guess introduced me to that. And I just got on the track and for me, the track was so fun. It reminded me of hockey, like the mass starts and like you're out there battling and just like making the attacks or bumping shoulders or it was like me being back in the corners like trying to dig the puck out so I love track cycling I haven't been on one in a long time except for maybe some aero testing at the LA velodrome but I haven't raced since those early early days but I I loved that that was probably my yeah early on um I actually had to make the decision in I think 09 going into 2010 um, I had been training in LA with the US team a bit for track cycling, and that was going to be for the team pursuit for London 2012. Um, and so it was around then when I had also had a couple performances in triathlon, and I, I basically had these sponsors saying, you need to make the decision, we'll either support you in triathlon or we'll support you on the track. Um, and I made that decision to go with triathlon at the time, but um, yeah, the track was really fun. <laughs> okay. There's yet another sport that we've left out. I mean, obviously you're the energizer bunny with all this stuff, but kind of <laughs> looking at your program so far this year, and I want to touch on the lifetime, uh, Grand Prix here in a second, but you're, you have a very interesting schedule. Like you did, you got first place in the 2023 Canyons 50 K trail running race, ultra trail running, and second place in the 2023 Black Canyon 100 kilometer ultra trail running event. I mean, how do you switch from discipline to discipline? Um, it, I mean, how long does a 100K trail run actually take? <laughs> that one took about eight, it was like 8.45-ish, eight hours 45. So... <laughs> Yeah, it was it was long. <laughs> um, that's right around what the Ironmans take, though. So honestly, for me, I really feel like that eight to nine hour mark is I've dialed that in the last, I guess, seven, eight years. So for me, that kind of endurance, um, that endurance day, I just I love I, I feel like people are getting to tired at that five, six, seven hour mark. And I'm like, OK race is starting now <laughs> so um just for me and uh, for our listeners for better understanding um <clears throat> what times is that per mile or per kilometer and do you really run all the time or this periods we actually just walk for a moment to relax your muscles or is it like a constant slow but steady running yeah it's that's a good question i always 
before I tried a couple of the trail runs, I always just pictured people were out walking on the trails. I didn't really think it was, I don't know. I just thought it was, you know, something you do later on. It's not competitive, but I've been in it now for six, seven months. And it is insane how there really is a difference in pacing across these distances, even though it is such a long distance, no matter which one. So for instance, I did the 50 K in, it was just like a month ago. Um, and the 50 K took around four hours and the hundred K back in February was about eight 45 ish. And then last fall, a week after Kona, I did, or two weeks after Kona, I did a hundred miler actually. And that one took like 16 hours almost. So even though these are all very long, it was a very noticeable pace difference across the three. That 50K I just did, we were running, I mean, early on, we were running like six minute to 630 minute miles. So it obviously slowed, but we went out super hot and it was, it was, we, I mean, there were three, three of us women battling. So uh, the first like 10 miles were fast. And then I think the average over time came down to like 730 miles or 745. Um, I'm not exact on the kilometer uh, conversion, but it it was fast compared to the 100K was maybe, I guess, eight, it was maybe mid eight, eight uh, mile pace. Um, so it's still pretty decent. And that is considering that you're going up and down. The thing with these trail races is you're up and down canyons, basically. So it's not a flat run. Um, so I, 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 to, I had the same exact question before I kind of got into it. I was like, oh yeah, just kind of like hiking or I guess I more pictured like hiking the Appalachian trail versus like, these are some crazy, uh, yeah, races still. <laughs> and you said that you love when it gets to that eight hour range. Um, and in order to love when it gets, when you get to that eight hour range, you have to have dialed in your fueling strategy. So, um, your weight was listed somewhere, which I'm not going to say, but let's just say it's very, very light. Um, <laughs> how important is your fueling strategy to your success in all these sports that you do? And does it change? Yeah, it's, it's, so, it's so important. Uh, clearly, I mean, in Ironman, it's huge and it's so different in Ironman because you're fueling for you're pushing as hard as you can on the bike for a 112 mile time trial, but then you have to run a marathon fast off of that bike. And so it's, I find it's more important in that to really dial over my, over the years, dialing that in because you're trying to run like a 250 marathon off of a hard time trial. So that that's a little bit different than these trail runs and the gravel races where like the gravel races, I'm not running. Well, Sometimes I run off for training, but you don't have to run after. So your stomach, it's when you're like jostling up and down running, it's a different, I guess, comfort level than you're just on the bike. You can get in calories in different manners. So I've actually found it easier now in the gravel and the trail running than the triathlon was very, very specific. Um, and it was a huge evolution over time of, of dialing in that fueling because I went from like, oh yeah, I'll just eat um, a, a bar every hour or solid foods to by the time I was performing in Kona, it was all liquid, all liquid calories dialing down into like exact grams of carbohydrate per hour. Like, okay. And even pushing that up over the last few years, like from 60 grams to 70 up to like, I was trying to get in a hundred grams an hour 
on the bike ahead of the marathon because it's a, a lot harder to get calories in during that marathon. So uh, that is, I guess, the experience I've had coming into now these gravel and, and trail running events. Like I've dialed that in for that time length. So I've just kind of brought it with me into these. And so far, knock on wood, I haven't had too many issues. <laughs> And <clears throat> I'm just asking myself, how do I have to imagine this? Like you, you do this uh, 50 mile run or 100 mile. You be there after eight hours 30. How, how how does it work? That is your husband there with a nice warm towel for you to help you and more food. <laughs> uh, how do you organize your food? You cannot carry it all with you. Do you have a support team like uh, whatever parents, friends, brother, sister, your husband, or how do you organize all this? Oh my gosh, totally. Yeah, it's such an art that I'm still learning with these because in triathlon, you have your own aid station, similar with gravel, like Unbound next week, there's three stops, I guess. So you plan ahead um, with the crews, uh, you know, to hand off what you want. With the running, um, it's very race specific, but the one I'm prepping for right now is uh, three weeks after Unbound. So June 24th, it's a hundred mile race. Um, it's the Western States, which is the, almost like the Kona of trail running. Um, and it's very specific. So you look at the, the guide and there's, um, aid stations. It, it looks like it's about every seven to eight miles, but only personal fuel every, um, like the first time I can see my crew, which will be my husband, my sister, a couple of friends, um, is at mile 30. So you have to plan ahead, like, okay, I can't get my own specific nutrition until mile 30. So that should take about approximately four hours, or you do the math. Um, so for four hours, am I carrying enough? Or um, there's stops in between that are the course supports, and that's they'll have water, electrolytes. Do you plan on that? Um, and you have to kind of decide, okay, are you someone that likes to wear one of those packs? Do you want to carry handheld bottles? How much do you want to carry? Because that's extra weight. And you spend all this time trying to get to race weight and fit. Do you really want to be carrying five pounds of liquid or are you going to rely on those stations? So I'm literally looking at this one right now and figuring out the best method. I'm not someone that likes to carry stuff. So I might just be relying on the, the course support until I see then my husband again at 30. And then we see them again at like 52. So those are uh, longer spaces in between where you can get your very your own stuff. Um, but every race is specific to having your crew, but the crew and trail running is, is a uh, very, very key. For sure. We'll be back after this short break. Now back to our chat with Heather. Who is the planner in your family? Because looking at the races that you do, starting in February with with the Ultra Trail Race, uh, Black Canyons, you know, going to the um, the WBR, which you won in April. And I, I'm just kind of glossing down because there's so many, you know, you just came off of winning Stetna's pay dirt. Um, not very long ago. What are we, uh, that was last weekend. Um, you got the, you know, the second stop, which is unbound, um, this weekend. And then you do the running race. Then you go back to a gravel race, another gravel race. Um, then you do the steamboat gravel race. I mean, There is so much going on here um, in multiple sports. Who plans your, not only your racing, but just your, your training around this? Or do you have to even train at all with this program? 
<laughs> I know, right? Well, I have to say, I mean, it is an experiment on myself, <laughs> admittedly. Um, I I would say I'm more the planner. I'm very like the type A, like, okay, this is what I need to do. And I always had been for triathlon, but triathlon was way easier because every year was about Kona. And every year I was trying to just win Kona. And you start, you plug that in and then work back from there. Okay, two weeks out, I want to be doing this. Four weeks out, I want to be at this fitness level. And I, I did the same thing for six, seven, eight years. So I had that race dialed and knowing how I would be ready for that one. Um, this year is definitely um, completely different, obviously, but I did the same sort of planning. I, I plotted in, okay, Western States is basically the Kona of running and Unbound for me. That's the main gravel race I'm targeting this year. Um, I mean, I want to do well at all of them, but that was literally the one that was on the calendar. And then I just work back from there um, and then plug in. Okay, I want to do this sort of effort here. Uh, these races fit in perfectly for efforts and and practice on the gravel. And I mean, obviously some of the stuff was required, like the Lifetime Series. I mean, I wouldn't necessarily have gone to Sea Otter. Um, I'm probably not even going to count that one in the series necessarily. I mean, mountain biking is uh, not my forte. <laughs> it was fine, but um, I just went to start start the series. Um, the BWR, I'd always wanted to do that event. It was the perfect seven hour day out. I went out to Tennessee with uh, Pete Stetna and did an FKT early April. That was like a nine and a half hour day. Um, at about, uh, I think we were seven weeks out from Unbound. So it was like, okay, perfect. This is a comparable effort out um, on a very hilly, it was like 16,000 feet of climbing. So just plugging in efforts that made sense. And then as I've gotten closer to the the events, dialing in volume and, and intensity level and yeah, we'll see. I've definitely, to be fair, uh, relied a lot on both Pete has helped me huge on the cycling side. And then Ian, who I mentioned earlier, Boswell, who I'm good friends with through, well, he's from Bend, but also just working with him from Wahoo um, has helped me a lot on the cycling side, getting back to, I guess, more change of pace efforts. Based, I mean, I know how to time trial for five hours, like in my sleep. Um, it's more you know, someone picks up the pace and I can't respond. So doing more, you know, 40, 20, 40 seconds on 20 seconds off type efforts versus, okay, I'll go time trial for an hour. Um, so just, I guess, working on what I know are my weaknesses and seeing how that'll pan out next weekend. <laughs> next weekend <clears throat> leads me to my next question. That's not a running event where you need a pair of shoes. It's a cycling event. So you got to have material. Um, I'm just picturing you having this romantic road trip in a camping car with your husband and the bikes in the back, your little doggo is in there, or you take a flight. Uh, how, how do you organize that? Or is your husband in charge for this? Yeah. Okay. So that is what we mostly do. We have a camper van and then we can bring Stevie with us. And my husband does all that. He, he, uh, he I credit him with everything. He takes care of everything. He, he's my manager, my agent, my mechanic. He works on bikes. He, he does everything. He drives to the races so that we can bring three bikes, like three sets of wheels, like everything. So he does all of that um, for sure. For Unbound, we are actually, um, it was kind of a weird situation with Western States coming so quick that it's going to be important to, I guess, be back here. And I have three more weeks after Unbound um, that I didn't want to make that 17 hour drive to Unbound. So I'll, I'm flying flying out 
flying back the next day here to Tucson just to hopefully minimize, uh, yeah, time in the car and, and get recovering as quickly as I can. So this one's a little bit different, uh, but most races, yeah, we're, we're in our van, enjoying the journey, enjoying every day um, of it for like, just, yeah, I, I feel grateful to be able to live this lifestyle and we've been able to kind of, yeah, make, make it about the day to day. So. But with, with gravel, um, Pete Stetna being a perfect example, I think he was one of the guys that coined the term privateering, right? Like you, don't have a salary from a sponsor like a a team over in Europe. How how do you pay for all these things? And who are some of your sponsors that we can thank on the air? Because with just the lifetime Grand Prix, not to mention your other you know uh, love affair with with trail running, but <laughs> there's what I think six or seven different events, and they're kind of scattered all over the place. It's not like one centralized location. And, you know, you guys, you guys and gals have to travel big distances. So is privateering the same for women as it is for men? Yeah, interesting. I mean, I don't know numbers necessarily. I, I do. I feel extremely lucky to be where I am. And um, in terms of having the support of so many partners who have stayed with me from triathlon over to these new pursuits, I mean, I probably wouldn't have made the jump necessarily if these companies didn't say, oh my goodness, like we would love to support you in these new, these new things. Um, but triathlon is very much like Pete definitely coined the privateering um, in terms of gravel because there's no teams in gravel, but that's how triathlon has always been. So it's always been about going out and getting those partners that support you. So um, just a couple of quick shout outs would be Herbalife has supported me my entire career, my big, my nutrition sponsor. Um, and they're, they've come over with me into these new pursuits. Canyon, I just signed with this year and they have literally in the last, it's only, what is it? Five months have given me the most incredible support um, in this new journey. Um, Envy, Wahoo, I've been with for five or six years. Um, Shimano, Rudy Project on Helmets and Eyewear. Um and then, I mean, Hoka has stayed with me in the trail running. That kind of is what kept that one going. But I have these sponsors who, um, yeah, carried over. But it's it's similar to triathlon and what you have to do in gravel. Because like what you're saying, I mean, the Lifetime Grand Prix, you have to perform in the overall series. And then even at the end of the year, depending on where you place, it doesn't necessarily cover what it costs you to get to seven different races. <laughs> so... Right. I mean, ideally you place so you can cover some of those travel costs, but yeah, I, it's gotta be tough, um, to, to, yeah, piece that together to, to get to these. I think a lot of, I mean, in gravel, you see a lot of people, I guess, traveling in their van, sleeping in their van, cutting down on hotel costs, um, kind of living simply. Um, but I, I feel so, so lucky to have the partners that I do. And with Unbound just around the corner, um, I take it you do the 200 miles? Yes, yep. 200 miler. Yep. And um, although the 350 was calling, <laughs> they start one and a half no, days 200. earlier. They start one and a half days earlier. Um, <clears throat> are you aware of the fact that um, gravel, the way it started, now it also became more attractive and more professional? So there is 
the first signs of organized teams working together. Are you aware of that? And what would be your strategy going into it? Because you're obviously a single woman operation. So uh, how, how would be your tactics there? You just uh, look for a wheel that looks promising. May it be a man or a woman and sit with that person? <laughs> or, or what's the strategy there you have for the 200 miles to come? I know. Yeah, I've, I've only done a few of these so far. Or, I mean, a couple last year and now this year. So I've, I've seen uh, what you're talking about, where there are some women who... Um, Yeah, there's certainly strategies out there. I'm a one-person team. Um, I have an idea of, say, the women who um, might ride a certain way at Unbound. And so my my goal will be to certainly, I guess, make sure I know where they're at and, and be ready to make a move if they go. Um, I think there are some women that are stronger, more suited to, say, an Unbound, and they're not afraid to go for that 200-mile effort. So, um, I mean, for me, ideally there's a bit, either a breakaway or a group that gets off the front that are kind of those stronger TT type women. Uh, I certainly don't want to find myself in a group near the end. <laughs> my Ironman pace is like the same as my sprint. So, <laughs> but to your question, I think I just kind of know some of the women that, and who knows who else will be on the start line beyond just the lifetime women as well. But I guess, being ready to see where some of these certain women are. Not sure if I should say names, but <laughs> I'm, I'll be ready. <laughs> well, to, to piggyback off of what Jens just said, you know, gravel, gravel riding, gravel events, now gravel racing, right? It's been around a long time and it's exploding. It's all people talk about. I just had a, uh, a friend at work that She's one of our sports scientists at Super Sapiens, and she said, hey, I have this great Shimano GRX Grupo. I just need a frame. What should I get? So, like, if she's asking me this, like, it's, it's around, right? But what does the spirit of gravel mean to you? Is it, is it competition? Is it participation? Is it just another challenge or something totally different? Ooh, good question. <laughs> I think, so for me, the biggest difference is like, I, I mean, at the highest level, you're still racing. So a lot of these are still races. You want to perform well so that people want to support you, but, and you can continue to do this as a lifestyle. So I'm always, I always want to race hard. Um, but I think there's also ways you can race in terms of being respectful to competitors. And um, I don't know, it's tough for me to say like certain things just flat out versus different things happen in different races and reading the race situation um, in terms of, yeah, what the correct move is, what the, what the morally correct answer is in the race at that moment. And I think that does, um, play into some of these races. Like I know they're, I, again, just being a newcomer to the sport a bit, it's like, I've, I've seen some of the stuff about, do we stop at aid stations or not, or the different camaraderie out there. And I think it's tough to just do a blanket statement of like, yes, you should stop. If you don't, then you're wrong. Well, maybe things were different in a certain race versus the other one. Um, I do think in the spirit of gravel versus on-road stuff, there's so many other factors in terms of like, in triathlon, it's pure performance. You're on a, a flat TT, not necessarily flat, but you're, it comes down to you and your performance. And when you're off-road, there's so many other things that come into play, like 
mechanicals, you're going over rocks, maybe there's stream crossings, there's mud areas, like all these other things make it so much more than just this high performance, like what do you have on the day? And it's reading, I guess, within each race, um, how things are playing out and, and what that means in terms of how you respond to certain things, I think. I know that's very broad, but I it's tough to say like a a specific thing for Spirit of Gravel that we're all out there. It is supposed to be fun. It's supposed to be this new thing. It's an adventure. You're off-road. I think that's the biggest thing for me is getting off-roads, especially with how busy they are now. Um, getting to ride with people maybe you wouldn't. I mean, last year, I raced Unbound last year and I had a really bad crash mechanical about mile 130. So I found myself riding on a broken wheel at the back with all these women and others who I wouldn't have otherwise ridden with. And that ended up being one of my most favorite days last year because I got to share like five hours riding with people I wouldn't have otherwise ridden with. Um, so for, yeah, it's just having those experiences and remembering days like that over not necessarily days that maybe everything goes right and you win a race. I was fortunate like enough. That. Yes, I was fortunate enough to do Unbound once as well the 200 miles <clears throat> and yes, the solidarity and the respect for each other within the peloton, it is really, really incredible. And then once you cross the finish line, not many people leave. You all stay there, cheer, cheer on the next one coming in, you know, basically you finish, you turn around and clap your hands for the, for the person coming in next, right, right behind you. It is pretty fantastic. A uh, whole atmosphere, you know, then at night and uh, nightfall, it's this big barbecue, like hang out, party together. It is a very lovely event. Um, one thing I noticed yeah. when I did it, I should have taken a tiny little box with chain loop with me because after the river crossings, the chain makes more noises than a train and it kills <laughs> your head. Had you, had you some sort of experience like that? Oh yeah, hundred percent, like completely. And I and before now, I carry a little thing of squirt with me <laughs> just to put on for sure. <laughs> but yeah, it's so, so true. It's it's all about that day out there, that experience, the party after, like you know, unbound ends, and everyone's just like having drinks, hanging out, cheering on everyone else. It doesn't matter what time you finish. It's like you did it, and you have those stories together. Everyone shares the same course, and it's almost like the race is done right after and it's more about hanging out versus everyone you know talking about the race specifics which is more how triathlon is it's more just yeah a party after so i have to ask this because i got the best bit of information because i'm an aspiring cat five gravel rider <laughs> and when we had pete stetna on afterwards i asked him about tire pressure and he sent me like this little cheat sheet and i still use that cheat sheet every time we go uh riding gravel so Tell me, what is the must-have that you keep on you for bike repairs? Um, some little gadget. I know a lot of people use those um, little plugs. Please don't say that because I can't get them to work. But is there some, <laughs> some little thing that you will not go in the gravel without? Oh, my goodness. Uh, I am not the person as. My husband is the full tech guy of the family, I will say that I have everything. So if you list something, I'm the person probably carrying it, carrying that extra weight just to be more prepared. But everyone's like, why is your bike so heavy? Oh, I've got, you know, everything you possibly need in hanging off my bike. So I have everything, knock on wood. I haven't had any, well, minus last year's crash, which was, un I couldn't fix it, but 
Yeah, I don't have, I mean, I have a little tool with me. I'm I'm one of those people that's very, um, I forget what my husband calls me, like micro, micro millimeter girl. She, he calls me something because if my saddle or something is just the littlest bit off, I feel I can feel it or I think I feel it. So I always have a little tool of like, oh no, I got to raise my saddle, but um, I have everything. So if anyone's listening and you need something at Unbound, I probably have it. <laughs> that is crazy to hear that because- I once worked with uh, on a team where Mark Cavendish was, and I would get, we, he would pull over and uh, micro adjust his seat. I don't know, a couple times per ride. Fabian Conchalera, <laughs> same thing. It was just, wait a second. But for you running 100K uh, ultra marathon trail runs, I wouldn't take you for a millimeter sort of person on a bicycle position. I know. I know. I think it's from my TT bike. The TT bike is, I mean, you're, you're a time trialist. It's so specific. Like it's so, I literally, my Kona bike would just be, I would feel the littlest thing. And even if it was like my chamois was a different size, like I could feel it or I would be sliding off the front. Cause I get so far forward and that's how I ride my gravel bike as well. Like a Canyon probably hates me. I'm like, can, can I get a, a zero offset seat post? And I have it jammed all the way forward. So I'm just like, in my TT position on the gravel bike. <laughs> hey, um, we talked so much about the gravel and cycling, but something that, that puzzles me for since we started talking, um, as a cyclist, for most or all of us, it is incredibly hard to start running. So if you have that 150-mile event three weeks after Unbound, is that correct? Yes. <laughs> uh, to me, to every normal cyclist, after years of cycling, I would need three weeks to make my body able to run 10 miles without <laughs> having sore muscles and being unable to, to, to walk. How do you make that? Do you have special mus muscle fibers or you, co you constantly train one day bike, one day running to keep both muscle setups working? To me, it, it, it's just mind blowing. It was in three weeks from 200 miles cycling, you go to 150 miles running. It's just mind blowing to me. How do you do that? <laughs> oh, I appreciate that. Um, well, I think uh, to be okay. I firstly, I'm very glad that Unbound is first because I think the other way, uh, if Western States was first, I wouldn't have done Western States at all um, just because. It's, it takes so much longer to recover from a run like that than the riding. So I'm very grateful it fell how it did in the calendar. Um, in terms of the training, I keep getting this question and I'm like, well, I've done, I've done this for triathlon for 15 years, basically, in terms of not the running mileage, but running off the bike. So I've kept my training the same as triathlon in terms of I'm going for six, seven hour bike rides, and then I'll run off of the bike. So my running, my let my running legs are coming off. I've already done my hard cycling. I've done my cycling efforts. I've gone out and done the group rides. I do my 40 twenties or climb Mount Lemon as hard as I can. And I come home and I run off the bike. So for me, this is simulating our eight of the trail run, our nine of the trail run. It's how your legs will already feel just totally thrashed. Um, not good. You're going to be tired and hurting, but that's how you feel in the trail race. And so I do a lot of my run training after I do my bike training. Um, 
and I haven't upped the mileage too much from what, um, say marathoners train. And that's how I trained for triathlon. I was training for a marathon. So, I mean, my longest runs are 20 miles, 22 miles versus, I mean, there are trail runners out there who go out and they run 60 miles is their training day. But my training day is going out, say tomorrow, Saturdays, there's a group ride here in Tucson and it can be anywhere from five, six, seven hours. And then I'll come home and run for an hour off of that. So my running mileage is still low. I've, I've definitely prioritized unbound and prioritized the riding. And then just am using the trail training as running on tired legs. Um, so we'll see, <laughs> but it seems to be working. I mean, also mentally, I think it, for me, you know, I'm in these trail races and I'm at hour five and I'm like, Oh, only three hours to go because I'm, I think of it as just one long day training day, not separating it from bike to run. So, <laughs> well, I, I need to ask this question because everything that you've just kind of described just baffles me. So recovery, right outside of nutrition and fueling recovery is probably like the biggest buzzword. Mm -hmm. What are your recovery techniques and do they differ between when you get off the bike compared to when you're, when you get off a hundred, hundred K run? What are those favorite um, little tricks that you have that we can hopefully emulate and go out and buy? <laughs> the biggest thing I do are Epsom salt baths. And that is also like, I don't know, 100% proven, but it's it's been some research, research has shown if you get right into a hot bath, it also simulates keeping your heart rate up, keeping kind of that heat acclimation, um, which... Um, is also benefit can be super beneficial fitness wise, but going right into a hot Epsom salt bath, lots of salt in there and just kind of flushing, um, keeping the heat up, flushing the muscles and straight out of the hot bath, I'll foam roll, stretch, do yoga. Um, I try to do yoga two or three times a week if I have time. Um, but yeah, a lot of trigger point, uh, foam rolling stuff. Um, I think the legs definitely get sore running mostly my calves usually, but, um, Usually the next day, my first activity is riding anyways. So the first hour of the ride is kind of spinning them out and then I'll get into my bike efforts. So, but I would say my biggest, uh, biggest thing I do is hot Epsom salt baths. <laughs> so do you treat yourself every now and then to a massage or you go, nah, that's overrated. <laughs> I, yes, I have a massage therapist here in Tucson, Byron, a big shout out. He's amazing. Um, I try to get it once a week or once every couple of weeks, um, just to flush things out. Um, I know some people either believe in massage or don't, but I definitely think it helps loosen everything up a lot. Well, you know, there's a lot of pseudoscience out there, but exactly. in my opinion, <laughs> if you think it helps and you feel that it helps keep doing it. For sure, for sure. <laughs> Heather, it's been an absolute blast having you on. It's, it's, it's exciting to see someone that does so many different disciplines and still has your energy and your smile. I think most people would be like half asleep, but you're just like pinging. So <laughs> thank you so much for coming on Bobby and Jens and good luck, best of luck for your number one objective of this season coming up very, very soon on Bound Gravel. Thank you so much for having me on. I really, really appreciate it. Well, that's all the time we have for this week. Huge thanks to Heather Jackson for being our guest. Thanks for listening. And please give us a five-star review and share us with all of your friends.
The show was a Bella News production in association with Shock Giraffe. The producer was Mark Payne, and this episode was edited by Tim Moza. Please follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Bobby and Jens and share your cycling stories with us. We think Heather might be the fittest person we know. But who do you think would take that title? Let us know by messaging us at Bobby and Jens. Mm-hmm.